Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. While He gives them to us to be used, oftentimes we can find them using us in the process. Have you ever felt used by your calendar? Anybody? Have you ever felt so busy that you felt like your schedule was the one calling the shots of your life? Right? I'm just going to go ahead and raise my hand right there, okay? Have you ever felt like the status of your bank account was determining what was possible for your future? Yeah? Have Have you ever felt like that maybe there's gifts or graces or abilities that God's given you, but you are so you know, so distracted either doing what you're paid for or taking care of everybody else that you're not actually developing the things that God has given you to be a blessing to the world, right? And so some of these things that God has given us, unfortunately, when they're out of order in our lives, they can use us, and we become subject to them. But it doesn't have to be that way, right? And so all of us are given an allotment of days, dollars, skills, graces, abilities. No matter how great or small, that's not the question. The question is, how might we use these gifts in a way that glorify God, bless the church, and display something beautiful to the world about who God is? Yes, Luke. Woo! It's good stuff, Luke. And the, I think the hard part is in church world, when we, hear, when we hear this phrase, time, talent, and treasure, for a lot of us, that's not the first time you, you heard that. And you, you might even guess that what's coming is a sermon about something more I'm supposed to be doing with my life, right? So time, talent, and treasure, you can probably guess where that goes. We're going to talk about, you know, the, how are you using your time for God or, you know, how you're using, how you're studying your finances or your gifts. And, and oftentimes when we, when we hear those types of words, we can automatically go into this this anticipation of, okay, the pastor's going to tell me I need to be doing more or giving more or serving more or, you know, after the service, that's really what it's going to be about. i got to look at my life and I'm going to have to make a little bit of an adjustment to something. There's something I wasn't doing before. Now I have to do that again. And I just want to kind of throw this on the table. The point of this conversation is not to try to get you to do something. And can I just let you off the hook? God's not really after just trying to get you to do things for him. Just like we were singing, what God is really after, the Holy Spirit of God, what the way of Jesus is, is meant to provoke and to draw out from our life is our deepest joy and freedom. Do you guys believe that this morning? That, that's what he's after. That's what God is after in our life. And so I want to read um, a few scriptures as we dive into this. The first passage comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 4 through 6. I'm going to put this up there, Neil. I'm going to start. This is in the context of food offered to idols, but this is, it opens up. Oh, cool, I'm getting a call. Great timing. Yeah. Hey, Mom. Oh, my mom's here. That would be weird. Um, We'll pick about halfway through. We know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although 
there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and from whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. So Jesus, this morning as we open up your word, we submit ourselves to you and your wisdom. God, would you let your word address us today? And God, I confess that my, my words have no power in and of themselves. My words cannot change a human heart, cannot evoke any type of transformation unless you animate them. So Holy Spirit, would you animate this scripture? Would you bring to life that which you want us to hear? Holy Spirit of God, would you help us to see you with the eyes of our heart? That we may know the hope to which we have been called. We thank you for what we've been given, and we thank you for this life that we've been invited into in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. So this, this whole idea of, of time, talent, and treasure, really where we have to start before we're getting into the specifics of our lives is something a little more foundational than what needs to be adjusted. We have to start even deeper than that and higher than that. And this, is, this goes all the way back into the formation of the people of God and to what God revealed about himself even to the children of Israel and what he invited them to orient their lives around. You see, when they were, uh, when they were slaves in Egypt, it was a time when the common understanding was there was a God for everything. There were many lords and many gods in the sense of every part of life had a different God. And so if you're a farmer, you had to pray to the God of the sun and, and to the God of the rain and the God of the soil. And so you had to manage all of these relationships if you wanted to, things to go well for you. Can you imagine how exhausting that would have been? Um, to have literally hundreds or thousands of gods for different parts of life, different types of life. And so as God... As the, as the God of the Hebrews, the God of the Jews, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would in, invite them out of slavery into to, to the promised land. In between was a time he had to reorient them with who he is and what their life meant in that context. And, and in Deuteronomy 6 through 4, this is what he this is what he declared to them. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And this particular prayer, this particular declaration was meaningful because how many of you know how freeing that must have been to know that instead of thousands of gods I must serve, there is one Lord. Instead of gods over every part of my life, there is one Lord who is Lord over every part of my life. 
then I am, I am to orient every part of my life. There is nothing hidden from him. There's no, no, there's no such thing as a spiritual mistake. Every simple thing and every spiritual thing is now caught up into his oneness and his lordship. And so the people of God begin to, to rehearse this, this narrative that there is one God and he is the Lord and he is Lord of every part of my life. And, and even as the early church would begin to take shape this idea had never changed. It's just now this God had a name. This God had a face. His name was Jesus, right? And so they began, even as the church began to form, we read in Acts 2.42, as, as, as the, the early believers began to, to, to make sense, they're trying to make sense of the gospel, make sense of what Jesus just came and, and showed them. Um, it says that they devoted themselves to, you know, the fellowship and the breaking of the bread and the prayers. It wasn't just prayer. It was the prayers. This, this prayer I just read was the Shema, the Jewish Shema. This was a prayer that the, the Jews, a good Jew, would pray four times a day. And this is a prayer that even Jesus prayed. This is a prayer they were all steeped in. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Imagine, imagine having your entire day oriented around that prayer four times a day, just reminding yourself that whatever you're doing as you say that prayer is now holy unto the Lord. And so this is the framework that the early church was even founded in. As, as Jesus would come and he would declare a new way, this was what lit the fire. This is what spread gasoline on the movement of the early church is... Um, is, is, is not just a new way of doing things, but the fact that something has happened and it was really, it could really all be captured in one phrase as the church would expand, as the church would find new hearers, as the gospel would land on new ears, as it was demonstrated in word and in deed through signs and wonders, through the healing of the sick, but then through, the, through a new way to live life, the, the simplest way to define what the church is from anything else is this phrase, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That phrase says it all for us. Jesus is Lord. And even to the early church, that was just as revolutionary as the Hebrews coming out of Egypt. You see, even in the Roman Empire, some of you know that even the Caesar as a way to unify the Roman Empire, they made it very clear, hey, we need to bring in all these tribes and religions and people groups and unify them in the Roman Empire, so we're going to let them have their gods. You get to have your god and keep your customs as long as you can admit that Caesar is supreme lord of all the other lords. If you can agree to that, then we're all, this is going to be great. You bring your gods, we'll have you know, Caesar as the god. Right? And this is just going to be perfect. We're going to have common currency and language. It's going to be great. It's going to be one happy empire, right? And that works for nearly everybody except the Jews and the Christians. Because <laughs> you're like, here's the problem there is no other Lord. Jesus is supreme Lord over all other lords. Now, that, that's what got them killed, right? But that's what they were glad that they would gladly lay their lives down for that simple phrase that meant everything to them. It was not something they were willing to budge on. Who is Lord? Who is not just Lord as an idea? Who is Lord of my very life? Jesus is Lord of all. 
And so that's what they were proclaiming, and that's what must be our starting point. Because if we don't start there, the problem is if we start talking about time and treasure and talent without first starting with a lordship, then we're tempted to take good spiritual things and try to fit them in our already existing lives. Anybody ever tried to do that? So I'm going to take a, you know, something I heard from a sermon. I'm just going to sprinkle it in to a life I've already designed around myself and my own preferences and, and what I really want. Problem is, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't do very well in that context. There's really, he, it's, it's actually, there's no power in that. The power of God, the power, the gospel, the power of the gospel is not when we try to use God to help us manage our lives, but when we live our lives fully surrender to everything he is. When we lay our entire life down before him. And I would say this, this is part of the call of us as believers, is to model to the entire world what the lordship of Jesus Christ actually looks like. And this is where it gets super convicting. I think it was uh, John Ortberg who said this, part of, part of our call as believers living in the world, as those who have become, you know, the church has become the temple of, of the Holy Spirit, meant to reflect, again, the beauty and the image of God, to display something about God on the earth. So if the call of the Christian life is to model to the world what the lordship of Jesus actually looks like, then we should be, lit, we should be so deeply affected by his lordship that we can call, to, call people to live the same life we are living. Now think about that for a second. The Christian life, part of what we're called to do is to say to the world, come and live the life that we're living. Come and live this life. So this is what we see in Paul. Just reading, we were as a staff just reading in Philippians this week. And, and there's, a, there's a phrase as you say, rejoice in the Lord always. And do not be anxious, but in everything, in, in prayer and supplication, you know, submit yourselves to the Lord. And the peace of Christ will transcend understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And, and then he ends this whole thing and he says, listen, hey, here's, here's the simplicity of it. Everything you've, you've seen in me and heard in me, everything I've spoken, everything I've given to you, just practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. How many of us say those types of things? You know, to the people, hey, here, just do this. Just do what I'm doing and the peace of God will be with you, right? And so a few question marks come in at that point in time. And, and, and for me as well, Am I comfortable calling the world to live the life that I'm living? Where does that hit me? Am I displaying something in my very life about the lordship of Jesus Christ that's so compelling that I could with confidence and boldness say, you must come live this life, right? See, Paul did this all the time. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. And he just had no qualms about it. Why? Because he'd given everything up. He laid down everything <laughs> for the sake of the gospel, for the kingdom of God. But for us, and for me, it, that, that provokes some questions, does it not? Do I want others to be overworked and stressed out? Do I want others to be stressed about finances like I am? We're greedy or careless about money, right? Do I want others to talk about people who are not in the room like I talk about people who are not in the room? Do I want others to treat the poor like I treat them or the sick? Do I want others, do I want other people to have the same quality of relationships 
that I have? Do I want other people to use certain words in traffic like I do? I'm not saying I do that. I don't do actually that. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Do I want to call people? Would I be comfortable calling people to live the same quality of life? Now, listen, I, I know those questions like, okay, that just got real for a second. Well, hold on a second. The point of this and the point of the lordship of, Je- of Jesus and these questions is not for all of us all of a sudden to be overwhelmed with guilt and shame about everything that's not right in our lives. That's not what I'm saying. And I don't think that's the heart of God. Yet, I believe the question we ought to ask Is there any part of my life that hasn't been touched by the Lordship of Jesus? Is there any part of my life, no matter how big or how small, that hasn't yet been touched by a surrender to God? And it goes beyond time, talent, and treasure. This goes, again, career and vocation. This goes to your relationships, it goes to your marriage, or your singleness. Because we live out our singleness to God, or we live out our marriage to God. They're both callings in and of themselves. It's just too easy for us, in the day that we live in, to segment and compartmentalize our lives. It's really easy to sing about the Lordship of Jesus. It's another thing to live out the Lordship of Jesus. Right? You guys, you guys alive? <laughs> Doing all right? Woo! All right. Um, let's surface. Um, and this is part of Jesus' prayer when he says, Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, Dallas Willard says this God's kingdom is the range of God's effective will where what God wants done is done. The kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will. Any kingdom is the range of of, of somebody's effective will. You know this? And there's lots of kingdoms. We all have our own kingdoms. You have a range of your effective will, unless you didn't know that. Um, We learn that from the day that we're born. My two-year-old is learning about her kingdom. You know what I'm saying? So, here's my two-year-old uh, Amelie. So, this is this little girl. She's learning about her kingdom. She's learning about her, her, the range of her effective will. And in this particular cir- circumstance, her will was to put dirt, to dump dirt all over our little puppy, Sadie, right? And so, part of her will and her kingdom looks like I'm going to dump dirt on the dog, right? And she is, she, her will is done, if you can't tell. Um, the next photo, uh, in this particular circumstance, you see she has um, some artwork on her face. She does have a green marker in her hand down there. Now, I wish I could say that her face was the only place that green marker went. But her will in this particular circumstance also involved the entire side of our couch, right? It was a lot of this, and then I think, like, just this for five minutes, you know? Just like, let's just let that tip bleed into the fabric while I finish this show, right? Um, 
So that was part of her will. That's like, that's what she's wanting. That's what she's wanting. She's like, that was, that's interesting to her. And then, um, you know, this is her will yesterday, this last photo right here. Um, she got to ride a pony yesterday. Um, now, does this girl look like a girl that gets whatever she wants? <laughs> right. Yeah, and she knows that. She's, <laughs> she knows this. And she is, she is expanding her kingdom, right? And we know this because she talks like that too. Two favorite words of hers right now. Can anyone guess? Mine and no. <laughs> Mine and no. <laughs> Those are both kingdom words, if you haven't figured it out. Both solid lordship words. Mine, right? Just anything in the house, you take it from her. No, mine, mine. It's like, who are you? Okay, you know. You give it to her anyways, because who's going to say no to that, right? So she's quickly, she's expanding. It's a world conquest, right? She's, col- she's colonizing our house and our neighborhood and all of us, right? The range, of, the range of her effective will is being demonstrated, and all of us have that, right? There's the kingdoms of this world and the kingdoms of our lives, the places where our will is done, Right? So what does this mean? When, when, when Jesus taught us to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, he's, he's inviting a heart posture to say, God, whatever my kingdom has come to look like, God, let that match yours. Right? Let my will become, or let your will become my will. Let whatever you want to be done, be done in my life. And it involves submitting our kingdoms to his kingdom in every part of life. Right? And so we try to do that with, with Amelie, and that doesn't always work. And so she has the other word, which is no, right? No, you will not, right? And she sets boundaries with what parts of the kingdom she wants, or parts, what parts of my kingdom she wants to be manifest in her kingdom. But part of maturity, part of, part of what we're doing, part of the Christian life is recognizing what we've been given. And then also having a way to open-handedly say, God, I don't always understand what's going on, but I want to give this back to you. Let your kingdom be done. Let your will be done in my life. The heart of a disciple is to allow God's king to rearrange our kingdom. <laughs> but that's, the, that's part of the problem, though, because it's really hard to live with a Lord. You ever lived with a Lord before? No. No. Oh, Lord. And so this is, this is where it gets challenging a little bit because we know in the life of Jesus, his, his, his will wasn't actually to come and just exert, you know, power in a way that would break our backs and put us back into slavery and just, just override any thoughts or feelings that we would ever have. You know, and just try just to get us to unthink one thing so we can think something else or undesire something so we can. So, so, so listen, we, we get this, this picture even in the Gospels, you know, what Jesus was doing. He would even come to say, listen, no, 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 my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He came to reveal the loving heart of a father that was actually for his children, right? That was to invite us out of slavery and servanthood and into friendship. So we know this about God. We know that God is loving and he's gentle, but he still is Lord. And this is something we have to remember. We have to get this part. 
that while God is, is an infinitely affectionate towards his sons and daughters, and there's always room at the table, and he's always inviting us in, he will not allow us to be loyal to any other master. So which is, which is why he would say really hard things like you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. And, and as he would call his disciples to him, he would say, listen, anybody who, 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 who sets his hand to the plow, you know, but looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. He would say, you know, anybody who wants to go first, go bury his father or mother um, before coming into the kingdom. They're not fit for the kingdom of God. Why would he say those types of things? It wasn't because he was trying to demonstrate himself as a taskmaster. It wasn't trying to just exert himself in the sense of just complete control and dominance in the way that we would see a bad boss or manager at work. But God knows something about us, that our lives, our deepest joy and freedom is best lived when he is Lord over our lives. And he knows that when we give ourselves to false gods and to false idols and we orient our lives around anything else but his design, we actually fracture his image, which is beautiful and good and creative and lovely. So when we read about these passages in the Old Testament about God being a jealous God, it wasn't that he was insecure. It's just he knows what's best for us. And his heart is broken when we give ourselves to any other type of Lord that doesn't have our best interest in mind. And let me tell you, there is no Lord that has your best interest in mind except Jesus Christ. There is no Lord. Now, it's a little harder for us to see in our context, but we have other Lords. And sometimes it's, it's a, a, a romantic love or the American dream or self-help religion we have other types of lords we can give ourselves to. Self-actualization. You know, in America, there are so many of them, they're really hard to see. But when we can get to the point where we realize that my best interest is to entrust every detail of my life into the loving lordship of Jesus, to rearrange however he sees fit, that's where my deepest freedom lies. And that's where life begins. That's where life begins. Now, this is why the church is exploding and it always has exploded anywhere there's persecution or among the poor or those who have no other options. This, the, church very, the, the church, from what we can see statistically, has a harder time spreading among people whose lives generally look like they're doing okay. But anywhere around the world, especially like you take the Chinese church, why is it exploding? Because they got to the point, we have nothing else to trust in. There is nothing else we can trust in except this phrase, Jesus is Lord of my life. And all around the world, especially in the global south among the poor, when they can't trust in their own riches, they can't trust in getting things done, they can't trust in overcoming all these things, that they, they has to be good enough for them, is enough for Jesus to be Lord of my life. And we see that that's where the kingdom of God starts is when we realize that, that all of this starts, all of our life is in a place of surrender, not just adding God to our existing life, but always waking up every day saying, God, everything I have, everything, every calendar thing I've committed to today, every dollar that you've given me, every grace that you've given me to display, it is not just for me, it is for you to display what you want to display. And can I just pray real quick? God, let us not be blind and hard-hearted.
to see that we really do need you in every part of our life. And so, so yes, the alternative is we just kind of do enough to call Jesus Lord, but we miss out on the freedom in every part of life. And again, the, Lord, the word lordship, it doesn't sound like a fun word. You don't think of fun when you think of lordship, do you? Sometimes we use that, the, the, you know, submitting, surrendering everything to God, and the, maybe, for, maybe for you the first thing that comes to mind is like, wow, maybe God wants to just, just vacuum up all of the fun and joy out of my life. Is that what this means? I'm just supposed to give everything to missions and live in poverty and, you know, whatever. We have these kind of extreme examples of what that actually means. What would it mean to submit your finances to God or your career or your relationships back to God to let him rearrange? And sometimes we think that's about him just zapping anything we actually liked out of our life for something now spiritual way up here because that's somehow better. And that's not necessarily true. Now, God does rearrange our life, and that's never fun. But it, it does lead to joy. He came that your joy may be full and that your joy may be complete. And it's always hard to see in the moment, but I'm telling you, there is nothing more fun than living in the Lordship of Jesus Christ than our dominant motivation being God, not my will, but yours be done. So yeah, that's a big that's that's a big message. That's a big topic. This is this is a core though of what we have. And arguably there's nothing that matters more than this one thing in our lives. Our willingness to submit to the love of God and his loving lordship so he can repurpose our lives and reorder the way he sees fit. I don't believe we have to hit rock bottom in order to submit to Jesus. Sometimes that's where we have to go. We ha- everything has to be stripped out of our lives. That's why everybody prays their best prayers after they lose a job or somebody broke up with them. Am I wrong? When something bad happens, all of a sudden Jesus is like, oh God, you know, 24-hour prayer and fasting. It doesn't have to be that way, though. It is possible for us, even in the blessing, even when our lives are doing, you know, are manageable. You don't have to be in chaos to say, God, I surrender everything into you. I, I, I'm not going to trust in my own ways, in my own thinking, in my own flesh. I'm going to trust that, Lord God, that you have my best interest in mind and you want to orient my lives to be a blessing to the church because you love the church and a blessing back to the world. So here's what I want to do this morning. Are you guys with me? We okay? We all right? This is actually a good message. This is actually really good news that you have no other options. There's nothing else you have. Why wait? That's actually really good news that should be freeing to us that Jesus, his lordship, is the only option that we have in our life. I mean, if you've ever trusted in your own strength, you know how miserable that is to trust in your own strength, to trust in your own ways. And this is stuff I'm just going to say, this is stuff that's continuing. I'm not talking, as, I'm not talking above you. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even talking to you. This is a with conversation because there's parts 
of my life that Lord is showing me where he wants to be Lord over certain relationships, certain responses of my heart to people that are difficult or people that have been hard or circumstances where I wanted to respond one way and he's saying, no, that would not be my will because it's not going to lead to your freedom or their freedom. So I will not allow you to do that even though that's really what you want to do. Right? There's parts of my family life my calendar, my bank account, all of these things, they're being touched. There's never a figuring it out moment. This is a lifelong journey of willingly giving ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus. So let's do this. Mark is going to come. He's right here. Great. Wow, how'd that happen? Hey, bro. That was fast. Um, And we're going to open a moment up here uh, before our time is over. And I just want to slow the moment down, and we're just going to ask this um, question to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you show me places in my life where I I have yet to experience your lordship? And it might not be somewhere that you automatically think. It may be somewhere else in your life, which is why we're going to hold open a couple minutes here. Holy Spirit, Would you show me places in my life where I have yet to experience your lordship? And just see what he says to you.
there may be something that in this uh, last moment that surface in your thinking, in your heart, just surface to the top of your awareness. And here's where I would encourage you to not jump to conclusions on what it means unless the Holy Spirit showed you what he wants to address. As you consider that area of life, you might just ask the question, is there something here that you want to show me? And this morning, to even be able to welcome Jesus back into certain details of our life. Maybe nothing changes about those things, but now it's a partnership with Jesus versus doing that apart from Jesus. Maybe it has to do with your health. Jesus, what do you have to say? What, do you, what, do you, what would you want me to know? about my health. Maybe it has to do with certain friendships that you've been wondering about and how best to steward those relationships. Jesus, what is it that you want to show me about those friendships or those neighbors that we have? What would your lordship look like within that relationship? Is there anything you want to ch- me to change about my behavior, the way I'm talking, that I glorify you? God, as we conduct business and have meetings and phone calls and sales calls and you're doing what you're paid for, how is it that the Holy Spirit might give you an imagination to do that for the glory of God, to do what you do best? to fix that plumbing, to sell that insurance, to teach in that school for the glory of God. What would he show you? Jesus, this morning as your church submit to you and to your lordship here, even over our church, God, that you are the head of your church. And we do pray, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Holy Spirit, would you show us how to orient our lives around the lordship of Jesus? Fully surrender. Would you address us in every part of our heart and our being? And if there's anything we've reserved from you, God, would you expose those things with the light of your mercy and your grace so that we can know you and your power with us? one final act as a church. Can we do this together? Can we stand up across the room?
And as the Lord is speaking to us individually, part of the power of us gathered is not to just come and get individual takeaways that we can go try to live out individually. The, the communal aspect to us being gathered here, what this means for us is that we are, this is our commitment to being a people, right? So can we do this together? Let's just take the hand of the person next to us. You might not know them. That's okay. We're joined together in the spirit of God. Right? We're all different. We're joined together. Can we pray the Lord's Prayer together? As the way Jesus taught us to pray, the way Jesus taught us to orient our lives into his kingdom. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Let's thank Jesus together. Come on. Yes. Let's stay standing, you know, as we end our time. And as you go, go in the knowledge of God, the God who is for you and who is with you. And as we end our time together, our ministry team is going to come up front. And we just want to invite you, if you would like um, to experience healing in your body, we're going to have some words.